Esteemed Hay Festival, located outside the town of Hay on Wye, right here in the country of Wales. Uh, it's a pseudo nation with a red dragon that guards it, right next to the other pseudo nation of England. We're very excited to be here. It's a marvelous festival full of uh, literary types and scientists, uh, uh, social engineers, a uh, uh, musical artist of the highest caliber, and now the magic of podcasting has landed uh, here in the Whale at the Hay Festival. With some weird ad that I didn't know was behind me. <laughs> Warm and special thanks to Total Produce, hayfestival.org. I don't know who Total Produce is, but I'm not getting any goddamn money from them as far as I know. <laughs> so you're welcome to use Total Produce, or if you're from America, produce. Uh, 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 or not. Uh, what, does anyone know what Total Produce is? And why do you have to have an online entity to buy produce? Sur surely here in Wales... Potatoes just jump out of the ground and chase you. It's so fertile and green here. I want to ask one of those American questions. It sure rains a lot here. Why is it so green? We came in from London today, the big smoke, the evil uh, city uh, just to your uh, right. And uh, first of all, I want to just discuss something. There's a giant uh, billboard. If I could describe the situation here to those of you listening out there in Proofcast land. Excuse me, whether you're making tea or looking after children. And if you're looking after children, this is an awesome time to put something in their milk um, <laughs> that'll make them go to sleep so you can enjoy this show in its fullness uh, with the richness of only adult ears listening. If you're a child listening in a, in a, in a blanket fort right now, this is an awesome time to uh, take that uh, pill that you've stolen from your mom's cabinet because it's going to produce the show uh, in multi-layers in your mind. And all of a sudden, green counterpillars will be whispering secrets to you that you've never heard before and untold Thank you. Unfold inference uh, will be revealed to you as this pink and perfect spiral takes to the heavens. Mm. But there's a, 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 we're in a giant, kind of a tent, but almost a semi-permanent tent. And it's got lighting in it. And um, uh, as is the um, custom here uh, on the island of the United Squingdom, um, there's no fucking ventilation whatsoever. Um, <laughs> There's not outside. It's it's a it's a brisk, uh, you know, uh, what sixteen, fifteen uh, in in America. That would be about sixty five, sixty six degrees. It's nice and cool outside, uh, not that humid and whatnot. Inside the tent, we can grow mushrooms in our pants. Uh, there's kind of a truffle pig situation going on in here. If you see a pig running through the crowd, don't be alarmed. They're just looking for the. The unbelievable, um, uh, uh, what, what, are, what are they called? What, fungi that are, uh, that are growing under every chair in here. It's astounding to me how uh, I can play festivals in Wales and uh, Ireland and Scotland, and it'll be beautiful outside with a brisk, stiff breeze. And then you go into the venue, and it's like being in a torture chamber in the Ukraine, uh, <laughs> completely airless, with lights beaming down on you until the truth is revealed. I wonder if we could turn the house lights down a little bit so the audience could feel more comfortable about laughing without having to look at one another. I'd like to reduce embarrassment levels here on the island because I know how all y'all are. Uh, if you see someone else laughing, you're like, oh, it's okay then. But if you're laughing on your own, you're like, oh, everyone else isn't laughing yet. Fuck, I better wait till it's really funny. May I ask why there's a forbidden zone up in front where there's no one sitting? Is this where the Statue of Liberty is buried up to its head in sand and Charlton Heston finds it at the end of the show? 
thank you for the four people who got that Planet of the Apes reference. So there's giant scaffolding everywhere, and I don't know what the show on ahead of me was, but it looked marvelous. There was a weird uh, bathosphere on stage and two people dressed in white, and they were dancing around in a box, and it looked like they were unloading a herd of mastodons. I, I really didn't understand the concept, but it looked fantastic. Uh, and then behind me is uh, what appears to be an elementary school movie screen from 1971. Um, <laughs> With the graphic that Total Produce on it. And then underneath hayfestival.org, it says Africa, Americas, Asia, Europe, Middle East. Um, because the Middle East is its own continent now, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Where's Antarctica? Okay, that's what I want to know. Why are we messing with penguins' minds when we're giving the Middle East their own continent? Uh, I've been to the Middle East and it's quite small. Uh, I mean, it, not like Ponderdawi small, but it's small. <laughs> not like Liechtenstein small. And someone brought a baby. That's fantastic. I wonder what other inappropriate events you could bring a baby to. Fortunately, the baby's quite young, so if I say, like, cocksucker or something, it's not really going really to fuck the baby up that much at this point. It'll be more of a primal memory that later, when the baby's in therapy, say, in 17 years' time, uh, he can be like, I don't know why, but whenever I hear laughter, I want to yell, cocksucker, and... The doctor will be like, well, I don't, you know, what is, how does that make you feel? And the baby, who will be a 17-year-old by this point, will put out their cigarette and go, fuck you, I've been married twice. I'm from Wales. I've already lost three jobs, goddammit, and I don't need you telling me what's what. Um, so we, we came in from London today. We didn't drive in, uh, thank goodness, because uh, we, we took the train. And uh, there, is there anything more exhilarating than a meal eaten on a train? Uh, First of all, the feeling of hygiene on a train is always like, God, I want to eat, and then potentially like vivisect a lizard on the train. Uh, whenever you go into the bathroom or the toilet on the train, there's a sign that says, uh, don't flush when it's in the station. Like, what's going to happen? I, I'm so next time going to hide in the bathroom until we get to the station and just psh, when we get in there to see if I come out and there's like a whole bunch of security people waiting around and they're like, can't you read? The tracks are wet now. We're going to be stopped here all week. So they sent a little cart down the aisle uh, full of uh, punishing uh, food goods like flapjacks, which are a distinct British uh, comestible. In America, you would use a flapjack for a very specific reason. You would put it behind the wheel of a jumbo jet to keep it from rolling back down the runway. <laughs> Here in the whale, they're given to children as a treat. When you're on solid food, baby, it's going to be flapjack time. And then there was uh, overpriced tea and whatnot, and, uh, and buns and quisps. All, all the four basic food groups of Britain. Uh, beer, buns, overpriced tea, and crisps. Uh, and, oh, and of course, shame and regret. I forgot those food groups. Those are emotional food groups. Um, I'm so afraid to touch this table. They jerry-rigged this uh, right before the show. I wanted a table, and they go, we have a table, but it's quite short. So we put another table underneath it here uh, from another production. They were doing uh, the execution of Marat Saad. <laughs> and they had a lot of low-slung tables here. I don't know what kind of plays they put on in here, but from the feeling I get, kind of a eastern block before the wall fell kind of feel. <laughs> Very low-slung tables, kind of a Gomberwicks meets Street of Crocodiles kind of oh my God, the government's come and taken away all the fruit. Uh, and now we're abject and have to look through glasses that only one lens works on and we have to share our shoes with everyone in the collective and all that shit, you know. 
we should start the show. And when we do, it's going to be great. Um, it really, really is. I kn- you may have noticed that I brought my gear on with me. Uh, I, brought, I brought my belongings on with me. Um, it's not that I don't think the security is tight backstage. Um, I was unable to enter the backstage for a few minutes just before you guys entered the building. Uh, I was back there banging on the door, and finally the stage manager uh, kicked the door open in my face, and uh, I was ushered back inside. It's, uh, it's just that I play a lot of festivals in the pseudo-nation of Scotland, and you bring your belongings on stage with you, and you put them in front of you when you play Scotland, because you don't know if someone's going to run across the stage while you're on and just filch it and be like, oh, you're the fucking you, Jimmy, right? And that's it. So I'm a little paranoid in that regard. Um, I'd like to apologize for how much swearing Greg has done so far. <laughs> and that there's only one of me. I've noticed that virtually every other uh, event here on the program, uh, it's somebody in conversation. Horatio Clark talks to Stephanie Merritt. Stephen Levitt and Stephen Dubner. Georgie Greg, Jordy Gregg talks to Hannah Rothschild. Carl Ove Nosgaard talks to Razia Iqbal. Uh, Ray Davis talks to Dylan Jones. I have no one to talk to but all y'all. So I'll be in conversation with you guys tonight. And I notice there's none of the pictures of the people who are appearing here at the festival in the program. I'm holding the program in my hands right now. It's a beautiful, multicolored affair with tiny teapots next to everything. Um, Some are green and some are purple because I guess, depending on the time of day and what mushrooms you've eaten, uh, (laughs) everything seems to flash in different multicolored layers. Uh, Let's just stop. Someone say stop. There we go. Uh, At uh, 9.45, Saturday, 31st... How many bloody weeks is this festival? (laughs) What are we on, week 12? Is this a hostage situation? Have you guys been here since the first day? And like, you're like, no, we're required to come to this show, Greg. We've never actually heard it before, but we've been to every show so far. And we're, um, let's see here. Ivy Suttle, Henry Packer, Mike Wozniak, and Ellis James. And it's the, it's in, it's in Welsh. (laughs) Mach... M-A-C-H-Y-N-L-L-E-T-H. Comedy Festival Gala. Oh, that's nice. That's cool. And then uh, what else do we have here? We have uh, Ariana Huffington. Really? You let her into this country? I've met Ariana Huffington, and she's a Valkyrie. She's six bloody feet tall and flat. She's really big. Uh, originally, she's Greek, and uh, she married uh, an American politician um, named Michael Huffington, who ran for governor of the state of California, and that's how I'm familiar with her. I also met her doing an awesome, uh, shallow Hollywood show called The Hollywood Squares, if anyone remembers that, where everybody sat in squares. Yes, I was on The Hollywood Squares with Debbie Reynolds, Whoopi Goldberg, and Ariana Huffington. Um, it was a mess. And... Uh, <laughs> She's Greek, and then now she's become a political pundit, and she started the Huffington Post, as you know, uh, which pays its writers up to nothing. And uh, then she sold it all to Google or Yahoo or one of those giant evil corporations from the East. And uh, thank you for not laughing at that. That's... No, they're, they're, they're all wonderful. Uh, in any case, um, she's Greek, but she speaks with an accent. And I don't know if anybody remembers. Um, before we had Kardashians, uh, when I was a child, we had Gabors. And there was Zsa Eva, and Magda. And they were Hungarian. And Zsa uh, was famously married to Porfirio Ruberoso, who was a, a, a gigolo from those days. Um, and uh, she was also married to George Saunders, who you may remember was uh, Addison DeWitt in the movie 
All About Eve. He also played the saint. He was also Shere Khan the Tiger in the awesome Jungle Book. Uh, and George Saunders was the one who spoke like uh, when he was Shere Khan. Uh, you haven't seen the old boy, have you? Well, I must continue my search for the helpless lad. <laughs> George Saunders was unbelievably a feat, right? So what does Betty Davis say? Addison, I distinctly remember leaving you off the guest list. What are you doing here? If you were an unforgettable Peter Pan, you must play it again soon. It was Margot. Why do they always look like unhappy rabbits? Because that's what they are. Go and make him a happy rabbit. But Ariana Huffington speaks exactly like Zsa Zsa Gabor. And Zsa Zsa Gabor talks like this. Yes, darling. If you've ever seen a movie called Moulin Rouge, not the one where Ewan McGregor uh, tortures us by singing, but the other one. It's from the 50s by John Huston, and it's the story of Toulouse-Lautrec, and Jose Ferrer plays Toulouse-Lautrec. Jaja Gabor plays one of the dancers uh, at the Moulin Rouge, and when he's dying on his deathbed, he visualizes everyone coming back from his life, and they come to him on his deathbed, and Jaja Gabor has the best line in movie history, and I may have said this on the show before, but it bears repeating, because it's such an awesome line from such an awesome movie. Jaja Gabor comes back in her showgirl costume and goes, Darling, we heard you were dying, and we just had to come. <laughs> That's fucking shallow. <laughs> and awesome. And that's how Ariana speaks. Ariana Huffington, John Lloyd, and Deborah Magach. Magach? Magach? M-O-G-G-A-C-H. Magach. <laughs> We're not done yet. Who's next? What's next for the baby boomers? Three of the best of the luckiest generation in history are still learning, still leading the way, and still at the top of their game. They talk with Emma Soames in association with Saga Magazine. Saga Magazine? Am, am I sponsored by the Beano? What, so really? Okay. All right, I get it. I'm down. Uh, Patrick McGinnis talks to Tiffany Murray. It's a lovely program, and it's quite long. Uh, and there's a picture of Oscar Wilde at the beginning. And he says, you can never be overdressed or overeducated. How true. I was going to overdress for this, like I always do, because our slogan on the show is to quote the learningest monk, how do we dress tonight sharp as possible? But I knew I was coming here. And I knew that the rugged hills of Wales would be a challenge. And then when I got here, I realized as we went in the car park, oh, my God, there's an ark parked out here. <laughs> I really can't describe to you how much rain has fallen on this area in the last few days. Unless you've ever been on a mission to Venus before. I don't think you know. Unless you've ever been to Rangipur during the monsoon season. Uh, how much bloody rain has fallen. Everyone is wearing Wellingtons, which is hysterical because it looks like we're, on a, we're at a country house weekend <laughs> with 5,000 people with book bags instead of birding pieces. <laughs> I have to stop to explain to my American friends what a birding piece is. It doesn't mean a chicken McNugget. It means a gun <laughs> that kills birds. I'm already overheated beyond measure up here. Could I get an army of teenagers to stand in front of the stage and wave at me? <laughs> oh my God, the air conditioning in this place. There's a Welsh person in the back going, Hello? Hello? Are you in a cooler? Oscar Wilde said, I can resist everything in temp except temptation, but here's one of our other mottos that we always go by. Uh, the immortal Samuel Beckett. He's not dead. You can look up in the sky and see him frowning down at you tonight over that nose. 
Uh, ever tried, ever failed, no matter. Try again, fail again, fail better. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so we, we took the train in from London. We're on the train, and uh, the guy comes down the cart with the punishment uh, uh, pony. And uh, <laughs> then we had to just put that anywhere. We had to, uh, oh, I hear and see everything, goddammit. I'm fucking Jedi. No one moves in this room. <laughs> and uh, we had to change trains at, uh, oh, bloody hell, where do we change trains? New- Newport? Newport. So uh, there's no, I don't know if you, uh, I'm, I've, ri- I've ridden trains all over this fine island, ch- chain of islands, and, um, but the, this archipelago, if you will, we few, we lucky few, this treasure, the septic island, and the train tickets are indecipherable. You might as well, if you're going to show me a train timetable on Brit Rail or whatever, you might as well just show me like the Rosetta Stone. Because then I could like, go like, I think it says the Pharaoh's angry there. <laughs> jackalhead, jackalhead, donkey, donkey, falcon, falcon, alligator, 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 eyeball, 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 eyeball. I don't know what the fuck this fucking says. It's a bunch of indecipherable Greek numbers written in demotic. So the ticket is completely, it says like London to Swansea. Well, I know I'm not going to Swansea. I know I'm going to Hay, right? Uh, because Hay isn't Swansea. I've been to Swansea, and it ain't Hay. And uh, uh, although people in Swansea, if you go Hay, they go, hello. Uh, <laughs> the, so I have no idea, and I'm panicking my wife. And, I'm being, my, and my wife goes, are you joking being this stupid today? And I... <laughs> some of you are married, you understand? And I went, no, I'm, I'm com- completely focaccia. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm for, I don't know what's happening. I'm, I'm dizzy. I'm, 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 you know, it's, I'm having my, uh, my mangina. I'm having cramps. Uh, uh, I'm having menopause. I don't know what it is. I'm having a hot flash. I, I, don't, I don't know where I am or what I'm doing or how do we get there. And um, so she took the tickets to the thing, and the woman told us where to transfer in Newport and shit. So we get off the train at Newport, and we got our bags with us and whatnot. And uh, there's a couple trains hanging around, one on the other side. And only, again, if you've ever been to a British railway station, The idea that you would make it to another platform during your lifetime is... It's really more of a concept than a hard and fast thing. You've got to change trains to get to your destination. But you can see the train from where you're standing. It's only a couple yards away. But then you look above you, and there's this thing that was built by Terry Gilliam for one of the sets of his movies where man is, you know, fighting against society and... The, and the government's just crushing him down and whatnot. One of those kind of movies. You know, like a 1984 Brazil kind of thing. And you're like, oh my God, I've got to climb all those stairs, run across this fucking thing that looks like a Romanian mental hospital in 1938, <laughs> run down a, or push the lift button and wait for the lift to operate. All lifts at British train stations are powered it, like the Flintstones. There's a lizard in a wheel. <laughs> And then it stops and goes, it's a living. <laughs> it's just... So I says to one of the conductors or whoever, somebody who works for the train, he was wearing a vest. Uh, and I go, uh, hey, matey boy. Uh, Broham, uh, we're, we're trying to find the train to... Uh, I don't know what the destination of the train that comes to here is, but wherever it was, Swansea. Uh, and he goes... It's just over there. And I'm like, I can see the fucking train is over there. <laughs> but there was two trains. So it was like, well, which one's over there? And of course, then I'm, at this point, I'm, I burst into tears. And uh, 
I was crying like Raggedy Ann. You know how Raggedy Ann just... <laughs> I ripped open my shirt. I love you, right? And my wife went to conferred with a fellow whose head was unbelievably shaped, I have to say. Out of my tears, through my tears, I could see that his head looked like a tuber that had been through a, several different bizarre diseases and possibly a beetle infestation, you know? You know when someone's head's kind of uneven on the top and then there's a black area and you're like, wow, what happened there? Did a lunar landing module take off from that area of your head or something? And I, I see them, uh, you know, in mime just gesticulating and conversing and he points like this and then I realize we've got to run up the goddamn stairs. So I've got all my shit and my bags, right? And I'm, you know, I've got a steamer trunk, I've got a hat case, I've got a, 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 a cage with a kitten in it. Uh, I've got, you know, all the stuff a man brings with him on, on tour. Uh, I've got, a, a, you know, a, a gallon of vodka on wheels that I, you know, carry with me. Uh, all of our children, I don't know where they are now. Uh, who gives a shit, you know? I mean, if they're going to be that slow, fuck you. You know what I mean? I, I'm busy. I'm busy. And I have a career uh, at a book festival where I don't have a book to sell. So... I runs up the stairs. At this point, I'm having, I think, a stage two heart attack. It, stage one is like when your arm starts to hurt. Stage two is when all you can think of are baked beans. And then stage three is, right, stage three is Jeremy Clarkson's head just appears in front of you. And like, it's like your grandma's knickers. No one wants to go inside them, you know, or whatever. And we get on the train. And I've never been on a more crowded train in my life. I've got more bags than a fucking Marx Brothers movie. The, the, the conductor is yelling at this point, standing outside the train. He goes, we've got to go. We're four minutes late. And I'm like, really? Four minutes late in the comprehensive ocean of fuck up that is this railway? <laughs> hey, Stalin, who's counting? Hey, Mussolini, this one didn't get off on time. What are you going to do? So uh, we get on the train, and on the entrance we've chosen, which is the very first one on the train, the guy's standing there with the drinks cart, and he won't move, and there's no way to get on. So I fucking ah, just barge on, and then every baby in the world was on this train. I don't know if it was like the kinder transport train to fucking Cardiff or whatever, but there were a lot of kids on this train and they're all bouncing in the aisles and shit and I've got more shit than humanly possible. I'm hitting them each in the head as I go by. <laughs> so it's a, la, 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 ah, 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 as I go down the aisle. Then the conductor goes, uh, and we're like, uh-uh. And, and, I, and I, I don't, I'm like, my wife, what, who, where is he from? We come in peace. I don't understand your languages. Why is everything a rising question? We were in Finland a week ago. Why are we in Scandinavia again? So my wife produces the tickets and we sat down next to some poor dude uh, who again though was dressed like a, a, a Euro villain from a, a Jason Strathern movie. He had the slap head, right? And the shades on and the phone on the table and a leather jacket and the most ungodly awful t-shirt in the history of ungodly. And uh, he sat very quietly while I put all the suitcases on him. And uh, <laughs> so he gets here and uh, a, guy's, a guy's here to pick us up and he goes, uh, and this is when you know that you're a treasured artist who's 
um, you know, I, I can't tell you how much. I met a lot of you before the show because I walked down the, uh, the queue and I, I talked to most people. I didn't realize the room was as big as it was and that there would be this many people in here. So I moved beyond measure. And I know you hate sentimentality, but this is leading somewhere. <laughs> I moved beyond measure that this many people are here. Uh, I uh, uh, forgot what I was going to say, but when I remember it, <laughs> there's going to be a big fucking payoff. So you can drop your attitude right now. And change it to one of enormous respect because what's about to happen is going to blow your fucking mind. I'm going to have a drink for a second here. No. So we get here, and this is how you know you're a treasured artist because there's a cat waiting, and he doesn't have my name on a sign. There wasn't a cat waiting. I speak in jive. There was a fellow, a person waiting. There was this cat there, man. There was this dude holding a thing, man, and I fucking clocked him. And uh, so I clocks him and I says, word. And he says, hello. And um, his, sign, his sign says, hey. And I go, hi. And he goes, uh, hello, Glenn. And I went, uh, 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 hi. And he went, oh, it's not Glenn, is it? And I went, I can be Glenn. I just got to get off the train. Uh, I was attacked by babies, and uh, I have a flapjack stuck inside me. I sat down pretty hard on it, and I don't... I'm leaving on the hay train. Don't know when I'll be back again. Oh, babe, your flapjack's deep inside. Well, my bags are packed, and I hit a baby. I ordered tea, but they didn't have it, maybe. So uh, we get in the van, uh, and, uh, it, and there's extra people in the van. So now I'm sweating uh, like a whore in church, if you'll pardon the expression. And um, I'm sweating like a french fry at Burger King under the light. And my wife gets in one side, another cat gets, another fellow gets in the other side. Everyone's in the front. And so I'm riding bitch in the middle, right? With the hump and my thing, the flapjack way inside me. My coat on, my sweater on, my scarf on. I'm like, I'm like to my wife, can you roll the window down? <coughs> so she rolls it down. But because of the technology of English automobile industry, if you roll window, one window down, and by the way, what is the fucking deal with not rolling the windows down, you guys? When it's hot inside a car, there's no reason to leave them all up and just keep going. If you roll them all down, wind comes in. But no one here ever does that. They just roll them all up, light up a cigarette, and fucking... So she rolls the window down this much, and you know what happens, the physics of it, right? We're whipping down the road, and in the car now, it's just an... an like, like you're in a G-test, like you're going to go on the shuttle to the space station or whatever. So we took a road from Hereford, is that how you say it? I would have said here, Ford. Uh, <laughs> We landed in Hereford and, uh, well, landed the train. Uh, we took a road from Hereford to uh, here, Hay, and uh, from Hereford to Hay. And I says uh, to the driver, uh, Michael or Mark or Clyde or uh, John or James or whatever his name was, I said, uh, 
how, how, how far is it to uh, um, Hay? And how far is it to where we're staying? And then he proceeded, because this is Wales, to give me lunar instructions geographically <laughs> to every place in the greater Wales metropolitan area. <laughs> I now know how far it is to almost every hotel in the vicinity. And I know how far it is from the station. It was a 24 mile. And uh, so we dropped a few people off along the way. We picked up some milk. Uh, <laughs> we stopped at a leek farm for a while. I, I had to dig leek for a few minutes. Uh, I was forced to make curry at one point. Uh, it didn't... Boy, ice melts fast here. How fast does it melt where you're from? Under the speed of fucking light. And uh, it's a festival. Yes, but it's a book festival, Greg. Do you think Ariana Huffington is going to throw her glass off the stage? No. The difference is I'm going to tell you the truth at some point during my show. Um, oh, what a cut, what a burn, what a chop smoked. Um, the road was so goddamn small, and I'm right in the back, and all I can hear is... Oh, you know, what, what is that? Was it Pope? Who's, uh, Pope, was it? And at my back, I always hear time's winged chariot hurrying near. Hey, ease the fuck up. <laughs> do you go to a lot of comedy shows where people quote poetry and shit? I don't think you do. Who is it? Marlboro? Marlo? Elect someone. You can't all yell at once. I'm deaf as a post. Who? Did someone call the cops because I misquoted? Are those the Hay Literary Police? You said Alexander Puppet isn't him. I should have quoted one of your great poets, like, you know, uh, Tom Jones. I felt the knife in my hand and she laughed no more. Fucking Tom Jones, man. I love him so. He's loved so many, but I love him so. I've already told too many Tom Jones stories on the show, but he is, he's magnificent. Uh, have I told this one on the show, Jennifer, where, he, where he, he doesn't know what to say when we're in Vegas? I think I did, but it's worth telling again since we're in Wales. Why not play to the home fucking crowd here? I've had occasion to meet him. I met him, and he was gorgeous. He had to read my name on a television show years ago. He had to introduce me, right, uh, as a comedian. Uh, well, he wasn't a comedian. He introduced me as Tom Jones, but he introduced me, the comedian, as Tom Jones. He didn't introduce me as Tom Jones, the comedian. He was Tom Jones, and he had to provide an introduction for me. But he wasn't wearing his spectacles. Oh, yes, he wears spectacles. And so he went, oh, man, here's, a, here's a comic who's been made uh, from America. Well, he's been making quite a name for himself here in England. Uh, here's Schneg Schnooks. <laughs> Cut! I'm halfway on the stage and I walk back. Tom, let's try that again. Here's a comic. He's uh, from America, but he's making quite a name for himself in England. Peg poop. <laughs> Cut. Finally, he kind of gets near it. Like the fifth time. 
begging news. I'm played on. I come on and I'm like, thank you, Engelbert. <laughs> now, <clears throat> he was gorgeous and, uh, and really lovely. And uh, I met him and I said to him, I walked up to him. He was wearing a leather jacket and he was hungover, which I loved. It was about noon and he was just fucking hungover. And, uh, I, and, and we, I went up to him and I said, uh, Mr. Jones, I want to tell you something. The first time I ever heard uh, a child's Christmas in Wales was when you read it on your television program. He had a TV program called This Is Tom Jones where there was a giant, there was a mic stand much sexier than this mic. This is like fucking, this is what some anodyne professor gives a, a lecture on about economics or some other nonsensical. But the corporation by necessity is a large octopus-like organism. Next slide. You'll find that your well-being will be taken care of by a series of... Next slide. If you would only yield to your corporate master, you'll find that this gooseneck mic will not freak you out like a sea creature. That's I like big, chunky mics, right? At the beginning of the... This is Tom Jones. There was a microphone in a stand, and his hand would... There was backlit, right, with a giant diamond filter, and he would grab it, and it had rings on his hand, and he had this big masculine fucking Welsh hand, right, with uncircumcised fingers, you know. <laughs> 70s porn star, you know, just hairy, uncircumcised fingers, you know? like a sea creature, like... <laughs> and that, but not, not this kind of sea creature, you know, a virile sea creature, like a ichthyosaurus, you know, like a prehistoric sea creature, the kind that jump out and eat a whale, and then a giant whale jumps out and eats them, and then a, a Loch Ness monster jumps out after them, and then goes extinct in midair, and then falls back out of He grabbed the mic stand, and they go, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is Tom Jones, and then it'd be, bah, uh, uh, every, every night, uh, that, that's how the show started, and he, it's not unusual to be, you know, like, it was awesome. And then, of course, the, it happens every day. Oh, 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 right? This is like just mad dick. And uh, <laughs> women in the front row throwing shit, going crazy and shit. So we were recording the show, and uh, he gets up and he does. He does It's Not Unusual, and he did uh, uh, Show Me a Man and I'll Show You, right? He did that one, fucking brilliant. Uh, and at rehearsal, Full Tilt Boogie, by the way. No half-ass measures. He didn't fucking walk through it, you know what I mean? This wasn't fucking uh, Sinatra like, uh, you know, uh, straight from the tree of, all right, let's go to the next fucking number I'll have you fucking killed. It wasn't like that. <laughs> Tom Jones sang It's Not Unusual full tilt boogie two times through at the fucking sound check. It was bitching. And he <laughs> is there and he's hungover. And I go, uh, Mr. Jones, the first time I heard uh, Child's Christmas in Wales was on your television show. Uh, and he goes, oh. <laughs> and I swear to you on my mother's Bible, this is what I said. That is all I have to say. I'm going now. <laughs> Later we chatted. But it was fantastic. Uh, so we took this road here from the train station and it was the narrowest, smallest and, and all of a sudden there's a farm vehicle coming directly toward us, right? All I can see from the middle seat is a giant blue truck with a guy wearing goggles and fucking headset on so he can't see or hear and he's going 70 million kilometers an hour in a farm truck that has a thing on the back that's not attached at all, it's swinging across both sides of the road 
And we're on the, we're, for, to orient our American listeners, we're on the left-hand side of the goddamn, we passed the duchy on this fucking continent, right? We're on the left-hand side. And um, here comes this fucking car, this giant farm vehicle, truck blue thing uh, around the, uh, the bend. And I haven't seen it because there's nothing but blind curves the whole goddamn way. And here it comes and I see the thing swing in front of our windscreen. And then, ah, like that, and I'm like, oh, oh, oh. We get to the hotel and my arm, my shoulders are like this. I, I got out of the car and I was like, <laughs> I had to be pried out of the seat. Uh, and then there was, uh, because we're in Wales and it was the middle of the afternoon, there was no food at the hotel uh, because food isn't served during the middle of the day, Greg. It's served from 12 till 2 and then again from 6.30 till no, that's it. There's no more food. <laughs> I had a very lovely dinner here at the uh, 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 punishment uh, hostility area, and <laughs> they took us to the artist's tent, which is adjacent to the regular people's tent. So uh, we can see you, the great unwashed and unworthy, from our vantage point of television celebrity. And that was a joke, you guys. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Do I really seem like that kind of fucking person? So they, they take us into the artist tent because we get here. Uh, we've been at the hotel for a couple of hours, my wife and I. We took a walk. Uh, we got down to the road, and it was like five million cars going 1,000 miles an hour past each other. And we're like, well, that's the end of that walk. We'll just go back now. And I, I'm not, I don't do, first of all, I didn't see any noticeable signs of civilization between the train station and when we got to Hay. Uh, that's what, I don't know what road that is. Like, it's, oh, 54. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, not, not a store, not a light bulb, not anything. Just grass and fucking scary shit like clouds. And, uh, you know, water that's just doing whatever. Uh, uh, I don't do well outdoors. I've said it before. Uh, maybe it's my Semitic heritage. I don't know what it is. But I just, outdoors to me is a place of trepidation. Sit down. As I said before, if you have to leave, raise your hand. Oh, and I think she works here. Um, what do I have, water? So... I, I don't do well in outdoors. I don't like camping. Uh, I don't like, uh, uh, you know, uh, what do they call them? Uh, you know, uh, parks. <laughs> uh, what, are the, you know, what are the buildings they keep animals in? You know, uh, grocery stores, whatnot, uh, <laughs> barns and shit like that. Uh, it's all very scary to me. I, you know, people are like, oh, I love horses. Really? I, you know, I'm, I'm, I could need, you know, a whole one. I'll split one with you if you like. I, Animals are, you know, to be delicious and to fit well. Let's, let's not get too crazy about animals. Um, but they, the thing is, shit's outside that'll kill you. I, I mean, if I'm in London, I know that uh, there's a, a lot of ways that I can be uh, killed. I can be hit by a bus. I can be hit by a truck. A dude can come up and, uh, you know, chop me. Um, but I'm ready for all those events. You know, you could be at a curry and be like, mm, that bite tasted really weird. And then, you know, eight hours later, like, yeah. uh, but in the country, it's scary. We get out of the car and there was a fucking rabbit and I don't know. Yeah. No, no leash, no muzzle, no cage, just fucking, you know, heaven, what's jumping off of it? There's things that live inside a rabbit that, do you hear that? That's a Welsh flying crocodile. They live in the River Wye and they don't ask. 
they don't even know why. They fucking just are in it. And then they make that horrible purring noise when they fly over comedians' tents in preparation for killing them ritually. That's what lives in the countryside. People who live alone uh, that uh, bury people in their yard or whatever it's called, the farm, uh, and they grow jam and other dangerous items that they put in jars and give to people and people are supposed to, oh, good, like, fuck you. I don't know where that came from. Like, if you eat a bag of crisps, you know where they came from. You know, because they've been packaged. But jam and shit, are you, no, no. It's like, honey, oh, bees made it. No, they fucking didn't. Animals do not make shit that you buy in a grocery store. I'm not having it. I'm tired of the lies. So uh, there was a bunny, and the bunny jumped, uh, you know, toward me, and uh, I, I screamed a little. I shrieked. It was more of a snivel, really. It was more, you know, like that. And uh, then we saw a bird, and I don't know what the fuck it was, but it was brownish orange. Who said you could have brown orange birds that are huge? It was huge. It was like six feet tall. Although, we saw one in Amsterdam a, a week or two ago in a market. We were in a market, but Amsterdam's near the water, right? What, did, what was that brilliant line uh, by Simon Munnery when he used to do Alan Parker, Urban Warrior? Uh, he, he, he said the Dutch are always building their country, right? Because it's just basically water with a bunch of stuff on it. If you see a slow-moving pier coming towards England, uh, <laughs> it's not my joke, Simon Munnery. And, uh, but, uh, so there's water everywhere in Holland. And there was like an egret or a heron or one of the vicious cannibalistic birds that lives in a canal, uh, standing on a light post. Really, you've given up already? There's no other fucking shows on right now, by the way. There's no other shows on right now. there's a superstar of music playing right now. Now, Hugh Masekela starts. We, we need to wrap this up, Jennifer. We got to get over to the Hugh Masekela show. And I've got to get another drink and get high before we go over. Sorry to cut things short. As I ran down after them, she waved the ticket and went, Hugh Masekela, Hugh Masekela. And I was like, fucking, I hate that Welsh dialect. What is she saying? And then I realized she was saying Hugh Masekela. You all remember Hugh Masekela, the uh, enormously talented uh, trumpeter from South Africa who had a surprise hit uh, in the late 60s with a jam called Grazing in the Grass um, that he did a kind of a jazz funk version of the one. Massive cowbell on the song. The whole thing. But then there was one by the Friends of Distinction um, who I think followed him on that one. Th there's one. Uh, Show is real grazing in the grass. Grazing in the grass is a gas. Baby, can you dig it? And they say the words dig it more than any song in the history of mankind. <laughs> I can dig it, dig it, dig it. They can dig it, dig it, dig it. We can dig it, dig it, dig it. Oh, let's dig it. Can you dig it, baby? Right? 
I'm digging it. (laughs) Doug. Doug, like the head of the dude that my wife was talking to at the Newport fucking train station. It has been Doug. So I look across the road, shock horror, fucking uh, sheeps. Big fucking woolly ones. Enraged with lanolin. Inflamed with fucking anger at my presence. A little lamb stopped and spread its little back legs and took a mighty pee in my fucking direction. Hugh Hugh Masekela, they ran. They ran past that window because they knew that I could chase them down with my agile, cheetah-like body. If anyone has to go to Humasakela, just go to Humasakela. My ego's pretty big. I'll survive. I know. I don't want you to be late. He's awesome. I want to go too. Will you email me the first part of his show? Will you take a video of it on your iPhone? And... All right, okay. I don't know what you're saying, but thank you. Nice umbrella. Nice to come prepared. What was that fucking hairdo? Oh, yeah, I take pot shots when people leave. Oh, both doors, huh? Let's just see what else is scheduled for right now. Monday, May 26th. Uh, let's see, we've had Effian Haig. Effian Haig? Fafian Haig? Archie Brown, Stephen Moffat. Alan Yentob was here, really? Hmm? Is he still here? No, he's at Hugh Masekela right now, Greg. <laughs> Tr- trying to get him to do a deal about a documentary about his life or whatever. Uh, Tracy Thorne, she's so awesome. And I miss you like a desert mystery. <laughs> All right, small person, go. We were at Ray Davis. We were just at Ray Davis. I was at Ray Davis and left his show early. (laughs) But unlike all y'all, I didn't fucking run down the aisle and pretend I had the Klingon cloaking device and shit. (laughs) I strode manfully out. I got up and I went, this show is rubbish! (laughs) Ray Davis is so awesome. He was really funny and really cool. Okay, 8.15, Gruff Reese in concert. The Super Furry Animals founder plays his new album drawn from his investigative concert tour of the American interior. Retra- oh, you know what? When I release this podcast, um, the comic from San Francisco releases uh, a podcast based on his investigative and exhaustive uh, tour of the interior of the country of Wales. Who wrote this pretentious fucking travel, fucking twaddle? You know, anybody can go to Oklahoma. It's not like you need a passport and shit. I mean, you can drive there right from Texas, pretty much. Uh, 
investigative concerto of the American interior, retracing the steps and looking for the grave of a relative called John. Oh, now I've shot upon the premise of the show. <laughs> he was looking for the grave of a relative called John Evans. Evan left Wales for Baltimore in 1792 and walked into the wilderness. Now I want to see this. <laughs> what the fuck are you people doing here? <laughs> Gruff Reese is looking for his uh, relative named John Evans. He walked into the wilderness of the Allegheny Mountains in search of a lost tribe of Welsh-speaking Native Americans. There's a, there's a light up ahead, Buster. Well, sure is, Jeke. I can see a sign in the fading twilight. What's it say? C-W-L-L-Y-W-W-W-N-N-T-H-Y-N-T-H-C-C-C-W-W-Y. Can't make heads or tails out of that sign. Those are some poorly spelling Indians. Hello? I thought I smelled leeks. It's the lost tribe of Welsh speaking Indians. Just say the word and you'll find Love is like candy on a shell I'm asking you to help yourself Win a few, take a few That's what I want you to do <laughs> no, That one sings like Tom Jones <laughs> He knows the meaning of success his wants I'm also he gives less and such a believed to be the descendants of Prince Maydog Maddog I took his cue and traveled through the Midwest playing gigs and writing songs in St. Louis I picked up Cliff Skurlock from the Flaming Lips who joined me on drums that's the explanation of the show. <laughs> By the way, Cliff Skurlock's name is spelled K-L-I-P-H. My name, Greg, is spelled K-R-E-H-G-H-K. It's just pronounced Greg. I believe that you're not going to Hugh Masekela, person who just left. I believe that you didn't like the last part of the show and that you're too chicken shit to stand up and say it was rubbish, like I did to Ray Davis. Ray Davis. Here's a girl sitting in a, uh, one of those French lawn chair things, wearing black tights and white tennis shoes. That's a very poor choice for a festival. I mean, I'm wearing tights now, but I have to. They're control top. I brought so much material to go through. But really, why bother at this point? 
so we got here, and there was a bunny and uh, the sheep, the angry sheep. Uh, and I saw a pony, and the pony, you know, gave me that look that all animals give me. The look. Are you going to UMass Kayla? Don't you know we're riding on the faint praise express? Don't you know we're riding on the faint praise express? We're fucking off to see Hugh Masekela. This gripping exploration of the interior of a tent where once was buried the bones of my deep ancestor, Heg Hoops. Originally the member of a Welsh-speaking Jewish tribe that wandered across... Wales looking for the town of Ponte Darwiburg. <laughs> Steen. Well, if anyone else has to go, I would go now because Humesicula starts soon, I think. Uh, let's see where we got that. Oh, right. We already did that part. Go right for me. A uh, couple things and then we'll do questions, I think, really, because, uh, well, I want to talk about a couple things before we go. We usually have a boring preachy part on the show. But I was reading the paper today. The, uh, there's Griff, there's Griff, uh, Griff, Griff, Griff Reese. You can hear him exploring John Evans' grave in this track with Cliff Skurlock on fucking Tom Toms. <laughs> this is the uh, International New York Times, which replaced the International Herald Tribune. More is more's the pity. I used to adore the International Herald Tribune. My understanding is in about three or four years, the New York Times isn't even going to print a paper version anymore. And I don't know about you guys, I'm old-fashioned. I want to be old-fashioned. Um, and I like the, the uh, genuine article. Um, reading a British paper, of course, is like changing the oil on an army tank. <laughs> but uh, uh, I, I do like newspapers here. And uh, but this newspaper was so depressing as I went through it page by page. Uh, Pope wades into failed Middle East peace efforts. Billionaire says he won the presidency in Ukraine. Um, the early exit polls show results showed Mr. Poroshenko, a confections tycoon known as the Chocolate King, with a wide lead over his strongest rival, the former Prime Minister, Yulia V. Timoshenko. Someone named the Chocolate King is, says he, and that's my favorite part of the New York Times headline here, says he won the presidency. Because, you know... Most countries, you, thank you, one person got that. Everyone else, but if he says it's true. It is. Uh, Egypt's new strongman, Sisi, knows best. Uh, uh, Abdel Fattah el-Sisi, the former army officer, soon to be Egypt's president, promises to remedy Egypt's crippling fuel shortage by installing energy-efficient bulbs in every home socket, even if he has to send a government employee to screw in each one. You leave my socket alone. <laughs> Three years after the Arab Spring and an army strongman is elected. Uh, 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 Ukraine got their independence and now this. Um, the Pope, the, the Middle East, which is a... Can you ask Kayla? <laughs> wow. The other guy who left was much more polite with his review. <laughs> the last Welsh person who left went, no, it's quite good. That little whore went, thank you very much. <laughs> I didn't mean, she's not that little. She's pretty fat. 
I'm a feminist unless you fucking pull that bullshit on me. Then I will attack you like a fucking Welsh rarebit. I will pour cheese on you, I will bread you, and I will sheep dip you. I happen to read this article here, uh, the, forest of fru- the Fruits of Forced Labor. Stunning new evidence about huge universes. Well, they were officially in the boring creature part here. Exploiting the poor is a huge $150 billion a year business in a world where 21 million women, children, and, uh, and men are trapped in forced labor and outright slavery, according to the latest United Nations survey. Then why in the United States do we believe slavery is over? Um, slavery is far from over, and slavery is far from not a reality and in many places in the world. And this is the part that's even more shocking. Ooh. Some of you have been forced to watch this show for a whole hour so far. (laughs) The summary from the UN International Labor Organization report on global forced labor. Profits tripling since 2005. Does that sound uh, like it coincides with anything to anyone in here? Um, You may have noticed that uh, during the 90s, the economy of lots of countries uh, kind of improved. And then um, when Bush uh, took over as leader of the free world and shit like that, Uh, You may have noticed that everything kind of went south and has carried on going south for a really long time. And then when Bush left office, um, the absolute cataclysm of the financial crisis happened that was engineered by the very banks that take our money each and every day. And none of them have gone to jail or been punished for it in any way. I realize I've said this a thousand times. Yet at the same time, you'll find that the forced labor profits have tripled. Could it be a simple coincidence that forced labor profits have tripled while all the giant corporations have decimated the stock market and everyone's savings around the universe and yet seen their own profits go cataclysmically and uh, terrifically, volcanically higher than they've ever dreamed. We live in an age of disparity that uh, medieval Japan would have been forced, hard-pressed to reproduce. We're coming back to a 19th century sense of disparity between the rich and poor, where the richest person who, thank you, where the richest person who runs a company, the CEOs of companies, make thousands of times, tens of thousands of times more per day than the regular person on the line and shit. And then when you see fast food workers strike all over the world, which they did brilliantly uh, last week, or by the time this airs four weeks ago, um, <laughs> people in the newspapers were like, well, why, why do they have to strike? And then you see people on Twitter come on and apologize for the corporations. If you don't like your job, then quit. <laughs> Awesome logic. The report debunks any notion that forced labor is a problem restricted to the most depressed places on earth. To the contrary, the world's most developed areas, including the European Union, account for nearly a third of the profits from illegal forced labor. In fact, exploited workers in the richest countries make the most money for their employers. 34,800 blah, blah, blah. In both kinds of economies, the people producing these profits remain trapped, realizing next to nothing for themselves. This is a situation that's going to carry on until we do something about it. And that is not electing uh, parties that want to restrict immigration. That is not swinging to the massive fascist right. There's a nickel's worth of difference, as we say in the United States, between labor and Tories. There's a nickel's worth of difference between Republicans and Democrats. Sometimes that nickel's worth of difference is all you fucking get to cling to. But remember, we have to do everything for ourselves. No corporation, no government has ever given anyone any rights unless they went to the fucking wall and fought for them. There cannot be forced labor. And when, when they say forced labor, 
I'm talking about wage slavery. I'm talking about people trapped in fucking horrible jobs. People who have to do, <coughs> excuse me, the bottom of the pit kind of work. And yet, you'll hear people apologize for the rich all the time. You'll hear people come on TV and say that everything's as it should be. You'll hear uh, 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 all the right-wing pundits of the world come on and repeat government palaver over t- and over to you. All I want you to be aware of is that you're being told a parcel of lies all the time. If anyone tells you that everything is as it should be, they are bought and fucking sold. Because nothing is as it should be. What it is, is the way we have to make it be. And that's not the way the giant corporations and the governments want it to be. First world, second world, third world, it does not fucking matter. There is no reason for some people to be enormously rich and other people to be forced into forced labor at all times, other than the fact that people are wildly greedy and have the wherewithal and means and technology to reinforce this at all times now. It's not the natural state of mankind. The natural state of mankind, he said, warming to the topic, is a matriarchy. However many thousands of years ago, the world was run by women. And I guarantee you, in that world, men had a job to do. But they also got scoopus when they got home and shit like that. And three fucking squares. And there wasn't forced labor. Uh, Are you saying that women are morally better than men? No. I'm saying that a patriarchal society where rape culture, violence, and war are fucking venerated and reinforced at every time. And any small fucking incremental change in that giant hideous edifice of a paradigm where men are free to do whatever they want and capitalists are free to exploit whoever they will is abhorrent and wrong against human nature. We as uh, uh, entities would be generous with one another if given the fucking opportunity and not controlled by these horrible outside forces uh, that run the media and have turned us into this bizarre consumerist state where we feel that Wars are necessary and shit like that. The idea that any war is necessary is absolutely ludicrous and a complete fallacy. No one commits a war of their own fucking free will. And I'm going back to the beginning of fucking time. The Spartans didn't want to fight the Greeks. The leaders of the Spartans said, or the Greeks, the the Athenians, the the leaders of the Athenians said, let's have a war with the fucking Spartans. and the people of Sparta didn't sit around. Well, maybe the people of Sparta did. Maybe I picked a bad example on that one. There, war does nothing to enrich society. Dwight D. Eisenhower said it. He was president of the United States briefly in the 50s. Uh, Orwell, of course, expressed it more eloquently than anything else. What war does is drain all the resources of the world so that the wealth maintain their power. Uh, the, the wealthy will always be for war because they gain everything from it while the rest of us have to just sit through it. Well, you don't think we're at war. We're at fucking war. Uh, America had 100,000 troops in Afghanistan. Uh, President Obama was in Afghanistan yesterday and he said, we're going to bring the war to a decisive end. We've been at war with Afghanistan for 13 fucking years now. If you were 15 years old, we've been at war with Afghanistan almost your entire life. I thought when I was little, Vietnam would never end. But Afghanistan is such a fucking money spinner for these assholes that they want to keep it going for fucking ever. And there is actually an article in one of these papers I've got here that said uh, uh, Karzai, uh, the prime minister that we installed in Afghanistan, insulted uh, Obama by not going to visit him yesterday and shit. Um, Karzai's busy doing plans for Unical and BP and Standard Oil. You bet your goddamn life he is. 
That's what he's busy doing. Peace is not on the mind of anyone there uh, uh, that's in charge. Um, are you going to come to a conclusion on this? Here's the point. <laughs> we have to take each other by the hand and lift each other up is what the point is. Because you can't expect uh, the UKIP to do it for you or labor to do it for you or anyone to do it for you. Uh, the, the workers have the means of power. And I'm not a communist in any way. Um, uh, if you've been to a former communist country, you see how corrupt and graft-ridden they are. They never shake the yoke off. It takes forever and ever and ever to do that. But I do believe there's a goodness inside people, and it's not included inside uh, uh, giant corporations. They have no other goal but profit and growth. So on the sports page, to carry on about the forced labor... The Monaco Grand Prix on Sunday was one of the most dramatic in recent years. Now, if you like car racing, good for you. I, uh, one of the slogans of this show and one of the tenets of my life is, I'm bound to shit on something you love. <laughs> Some people like rugby. I've never watched rugby. That doesn't mean it's bad. Auto racing, on the other hand. <laughs> if you aren't aware of who the kind of people are who run Formula One, you may remember a couple of years ago when they were exposed as the Nazi, slave-driving, hooker-beating people that they are. Understand that when you watch Formula One. Uh, also, Monaco is maybe the most evil entity in Europe. Am I wrong? I mean, does anyone else think this? That a country where there's no taxes and there's cameras fucking everywhere and there's three people and the royal family are these inbred fucking offenses to humanity... And we're supposed to think they're glamorous in some way? Did you see Prince Albert's wedding to that poor girl? And she looked like she was drugged and dragged to the fucking altar and shit like that? You can leave now if you will. But you know it's because I'm speaking the truth. I know you ain't going to Hugh Masekela. You're going because you like the funny who's line part of the first part of the show. And then when I started talking smack about the dominant paradigm, your knickers got in a fucking twist. Because maybe you own one of these giant agribusinesses here in Wales. Or maybe you own a giant business in London and keep a little country house in Wales. So that the little Welsh fucking Negro people can come and serve you and shit when they're... Oh yes, you know what I'm fucking talking about. You fucking know exactly what I'm talking about. The Welsh are patronized more than any other entity on this fucking island. And it's ugly. It is ugly. <coughs> I always say to Welsh people, why don't you go to London and start burning their houses down? Go to Belgravia and shit. You'll find them. <laughs> do you think David Cameron really cares when he goes to bed at night? Do you think the last thought before he goes to bed is, gosh, I hope wealth uh, school children are getting a phone. <laughs> the excitement of the track action was small compared with the drama behind the scenes between two drivers who in first and second, blah, 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 blah. What are you getting at, Greg? Nico Roseberg with Prince Albert II. And there's Prince Albert II with the winner of the Monaco Grand Prix. Now, who realizes anything of gain from the Monaco Grand Prix? But uh, does everything have to be for gain, Greg? Can't things just be for pure entertainment value? I mean, like, remember the first part of the show when it was funny and glib? <laughs> Obviously, things can be for a shallow entertainment. I like shallow entertainment as much as anyone else. I like baseball. And there's no supporting the corporate paradigm of baseball where every single owner, uh, outside of maybe one or two, is a white, ugly, icky, awful corporate billionaire. 
who treats the players like chattel and raises the prices up so fucking high. Or, for instance, all right, let's talk about Man City for a second. Man City finally is the giant club, right? But why are they the giant club? You know why. Because they were bought by the Qataris, and the Qataris spent a bajillion dollars. Well, good for the Man City fans. I, I, ex- I expect if you're a Man City fan, you're like, Finally, I've waited my whole fucking life for someone rich to buy this fucking team. <laughs> but why should that be what the operating modus operandi is? Why should a rich person have to buy the team in order for you uh, to... Like, for instance, the World Cup is coming up, followed by the Olympics, which are huge corporate boondoggles sponsored by McDonald's and IBM and every other goddamn giant corporation you could possibly think of. I've said it before in the show, and I sincerely mean this, and I know you're going to think I'm naive as fuck. Why do they have to build giant stadiums for every single event? Why does everything have to be corporate sponsored? And why do they have to knock down poor neighborhoods to do these fucking events? Because I guarantee you the poor people of Brazil are not going to see a dime from the World Cup or the Olympics that are happening there. Not a dime. Now, to flip it over and look at the positive side, as I will play the devil's advocate for myself because I have no one to converse with here, it brings attention to the fact that the favelas in uh, uh, Brazil are being knocked down. And whatever small amount of attention that can bring to that and to the poverty that is Brazil, which is, by the way, one of the giant economic engines in the world, uh, Brazil is going to pass everyone in the next few years as a giant economic entity. Their disparity is insane, right? Children are absolutely there to be murdered and dealt with. Really? You can't take any more? Maybe it was your sweater. I told you this was the boring preachy part. Look at whales all touchy and sensitive, huh, Jennifer? No one in Finland got up and left. Of course, it was only about 80 people, but the thing is... Oh, no, they're probably going to try to catch the last end of Hugh Masekela. Because if there's one thing a fascist loves, it's a black trumpeter from South Africa who fought against apartheid. My point is this. Prince Albert is one of the rapiest, ickiest, most useless individuals that ever walked the face of the earth. And there he is going like this. This is the fucking last redoubt of the douchebag. If anyone gives you the double thumbs up, never speak to them again. The one thumbs up is like, I'm a douchebag, but I'm acting normal. Uh, He doesn't know the first thing. Uh, 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 I mean, he married an Olympian, right? But I guess he bought her or something. He also, what was it? He had sex with one of his maids, was it? Or a nanny and had a baby with her? Prince Albert. I mean, really. Royalty. You know, the French Revolution had its good points. I don't advocate violence ever. And I never, ever murder No matter how evil someone is, they have the right to fucking walk around, I guess. (laughs) No, it's true. I don't. I can't advocate violence in any way. But when I see Prince Albert going like this on the same newspaper where I saw that Europe is uh, realizing more profits from forced labor than any other place on earth, it makes me uh, barf up my train lunch. (laughs) We talked about that one before. Let's have a high point here and then, oh, well, let's just talk about it for just a second. Uh, The cover of the, uh, what's this, The Guardian. Uh, And as you know, The Guardian uh, has an unbiased viewpoint. Occasionally, uh, The 
The Guardian's uh, uh, marching orders, the Guardian's uh, constitution, the Guardian's articles of confederation say, occasionally we print facts. And on the cover they've uh, uh, put Mr. Farrago here. <laughs> the cover of every British newspaper today, because I looked at them all at the train station, is Mr. Farrago. And uh, the UKIP party, or whatever you guys are calling it, got 5% less than it did in the last election, and yet he's on the cover of every paper and they're hailing it as a triumph. Is it titillating for the media outlets? Is that why they're doing it? I presume it is. I presume it's the titillation of having a burgeoning uh, anti-immigrant, sort of demi-racist, almost neo-Nazi person getting all these votes in his party and shit. They don't control any councils. They don't have any seats. In, you know what I mean? They're really playing them up like they're this giant driving force of angry white people the reason why people are angry and the reason why the people who vote for that party are angry is they don't have anything. The, it, it, racism is, is an adjunct to the fact that they feel like the government has trod upon them and that uh, even the unbelievably enlightened administration of Tony Blair and the even more enlightened administration of Mr. Gordon Brown uh, perhaps never ever took them into account. Um, yes, there's always ignorant people. One of the leaders of the UKIP party said, we didn't do well in London because people are more educated there. <laughs> That's a telling comment, don't you think? And not exactly a giant invitation for the Illuminati to join your fucking party. <laughs> hey, do you have trouble with lateral thinking? Hey, are you full of anger and spite? Hey, would you like to wallow in a bath of ignorance like an elephant in a pool in Sumatra? <laughs> join our party. Everyone who's different's wrong. Come on in. We don't care for women that much either, but shh. <laughs> Ignorance is fun and easy, and that's why people do it. I'm from America, so I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> we just had another mass shooting, and I will guarantee, motherfucking, goddamn to you, there will be no changes in the gun laws. I know. It's a macabre thing to say, but I said it. Uh, and then there's a picture of Marine Le Pen here because they're titillated by running her picture. Now, you may remember her father, uh, Monsieur Asshole Le Pen, who, uh, <laughs> her party is called the Je Déteste Tout Le Monde Party. <laughs> they are called the Front National, and they gained a bunch of seats and blah, blah, blah. And she had a big victory party yesterday, like Mr. Farrago's always got a beer in his face and shit. Oi, I'm English because I'm white, don't you see? Britain has always been white, except for all the other people who aren't white that have always been here. <laughs> well, Marine Le Pen is blonde. Oh, no, la la. La 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 la. The FN has pledged to close France borders to stop the free movement of the Roma. Now, if anybody remembers history, no one does. The Roma, you may recall, are the gypsies. Um, you may remember uh, the Nazis right before World War II started and uh, stopped the free movement of the Roma. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Because the Jews, of course, were uh, purged during World War II. The Roma were purged all the time and especially during World War II, and given their own special camps to go to. Um, to say you're going to stop the free movement of the Roma and foreign delinquents, as well as cheap foreign labor, to ditch the euro and return to the franc, 
to end free trade agreements with America and to defend in all circumstances our values, our identity, our traditions, and our way of life. Mm. Well, you won the European Cup and you won the uh, World Cup and Zizou was your big star. Is he a traditional French value? Or is he a half-breed? One must ask oneself these salient questions when one is trying to think logically. If you want to just, uh, as Curtis Mayfield said, if you want to be a junkie, wow. Uh, she concluded, unemployment, the loss of social benefits, injustice, the loss of our values, uncontrolled immigration are not inevitable, but the result of political choose political chooses <laughs> I think she meant political choices I think this is the Guardian going wrong on this one unless she was saying it in English and it's like her third language in which case I shall read it in a French accent like that the loss of values uncontrolled immigration are not inevitable but the result of political chooses that we can oppose and that we must oppose. France has still a future and needs you. As Lamont wrote after yesterday's early projections, Marine Le Pen has won her bet. The French National is the main winner in the European elections. Oh, hooray for Lamont. Who knew there were that many rouge necks in France? <laughs> There's rouge necks everywhere. To lift your spirits and then we'll go. Uh, this week uh, was the anniversary of Harvey Milk's birthday. Harvey Milk is a person beloved uh, in my heart and uh, to a lot of people in America and also in the Bay Area. I'm from San Francisco. Uh, Harvey Milk uh, was elected to the Board of Supervisors. He was the first openly gay official elected in America uh, in the 70s uh, when I was a teenager. He was assassinated uh, by a, a, a disgruntled member of the Board of Supervisors of San Francisco who was angry uh, that uh, Harvey was compromising the traditional values of family and, uh, and wasn't making enough money as a member of the Board of Supervisors. He snuck back in with the aid of his secretary into City Hall, went and shot the mayor, and then shot Harvey Milk five times in the head. Now, Harvey Milk was a, a very intelligent person and a very lovely person and a very brave person. And now, as you know, there are gay elected officials uh, in many places, uh, and the struggle goes on and on. I think he was a man of immense courage, and this might lift your spirits a little bit after all the nonsense I've just been going through. The Harvey Milk stamp draws crowds. Um, the new forever stamp was unveiled in what would have been Milk's 84th birthday. It bears an iconic image of Milk taken in 77. and He owned a, a camera street, uh, store on Castor Street, which is the main gay neighborhood in San Francisco, or used to be. In California, where May 22nd is Harvey Milk Day, the stamps were selling briskly, a post office spokesman told the San Francisco Chronicle. Milk became one of the, <coughs> one of the first openly gay public officials in the U.S. after winning a seat on the San Francisco Board of Supervisors in 1977. But he's best known as a beloved champion of equal rights for the gay community in San Francisco and across the nation. And if you want to go online, you can go online on the U.S. Postal Service and buy the Harvey Milk stamp, if you wish, uh, to show your support for him. Uh, Harvey Milk today, this is from the Wall Street Journal, uh, uh, yeah, from people. Why the former Wall Street banker is still the most influential LGBT activist 36 years after his murder. And I'll just give you a couple of facts about Harvey Milk and then we'll briskly move along here. Yeah, he was um, in the U.S. Navy and was discharged. He moved to New York, or where he was from. He was a Wall Street investment banker and he even helped produce Broadway plays. Then he moved to San Francisco. Uh, 
He had known since school that he was gay. He opened a camera shop on Castor Street. His shop, Castor Cameras, became a neighborhood hub, and Milk found a voice as an activist and political leader. And this is the quotes I wanted to read you from Harvey Milk. Uh, he knew that he would be assassinated, I think, because he knew that people weren't going to tolerate it. Uh, the fact that his existence was too much. If a bullet should enter my brain, he said, let that bullet destroy every closet door. And these are the quotes I wanted to read for you because I thought they were most salient. The fact is that more people have been slaughtered in the name of religion than for any other single reason. That, that, my friends, that is true perversion. Burst down those closet doors once and for all. Stand up and start to fight. And then my favorite one, well, hope will never be silent. But the one that, uh, it's not my victory, he said when he won. It's yours and yours and yours. If a gay can win, it means there's hope the system can work for all minorities. If we fight, we've given them hope. Now, I don't know if you consider yourself a minority. We all like to have our own oppression. Certainly the Welsh might consider themselves a minority and a giant uh, entity like the United Kingdom where you don't have a representative voice and you don't even get to go to the fucking World Cup. Uh, but I think someone like Harvey Milk understood that. He was pro-weed, he was pro-people, he was pro-minorities, he was pro-women, he was a feminist, and he was a gay rights advocate. But this is what he said that made me, uh, that I think is the most salient quote of anything he said, and if you take anything home tonight, this is what I'd like you to take home. Rights are won only by those who make their voices heard. Uh, and I think it's very important to remember that because... If we don't make our voices heard, they're going to do whatever they want with us all the goddamn time. And then you'll only see pictures of Prince Albert of Monaco at the end of a giant road race that you weren't invited to attend that costs more money than you could imagine to even buy a ticket to that's run by zillionaires who don't care about you going like this while they pour champagne over each other's heads and shit like that. Um, let's take a couple of questions and then we'll go. Uh, Chorizo, are you still there? <laughs> Hi, darling. Teresa will be walking amongst you. Teresa will be walking amongst you and, and taking your questions. We'll do a couple and then we'll fuck off. Oh, a lot of you are taking this the cue to leave right now. Well, you're welcome to. When you speak of me, and you will, speak kindly. Really? Everyone's going to fucking leave? All right. Well, those of you who are staying, you can answer a question or two. Uh, what's, what's your I'd like to know what the fuck is going on in Wales at 10 o'clock at night on Bank Holiday Monday, you guys. Yeah, bedtime, thank you. Go on, my darling. Where are you? Right here. Oh. <laughs> what's your name? Uh, Duncan. Hi, Duncan. Hi. Uh, what's your view on drugs and alcohol? Dude. Good question. Um, I think uh, if you can handle them, they're awesome. <laughs> I think that drugs, in particular, uh, certain kinds of drugs, can kick down the doors of perception. And that the thing that the government and uh, all these uh, uh, you know, government apologists and anti-drug fucking people uh, get up their ass and keep repeating the same lies are, 
is that uh, drugs alter you in some deficient way. Well, what drugs do is they take you out of yourself and put you into your other. They make your left brain more prevalent. And therefore, thinking about your job and thinking about the responsibilities you have to the giant machine are less important to you. And that's why the government doesn't want you to have drugs. It has nothing to do with your health. If they cared about your health, they wouldn't be dismantling the NHS and privatizing every element of it so that giant corporations could be making profits off it. The problem with drugs is the trade is often controlled by gangsters, which is why, again, we have to take each other by the hand and provide our own drugs for one another. I believe that marijuana is the most benign of all the soft drugs. I believe that when you get into... Uh, 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 drinking alcohol and, and being violent that that's a very negative thing however if you ever try to deny me my bottle of wine at night I will fucking fight you like a badger <laughs> so yes they can be a problem when people are labeled as drug addicts and shit like that think about this do you ever hear the heads of corporations the Koch brothers in the United States the heads of HSBC who led a giant drugs for money, drug swindle, giant exchange that they received a very mild slap on the wrist for, the giant bank, HSBC, which is centered in uh, the United Kingdom. Um, they received virtually no punishment for being involved in the drug trade. However, if you are found with drugs, you are going to go to jail and face the full extent of the law. When that is no longer the case, then I'll believe what I hear from giant entities. Uh, if you meet out drug uh, uh, punishment equally to the rich and the poor, then I'll believe that there's some sort of equity in that regard. Until then, fuck you. <laughs> if the poor want to take drugs, it's because life sucks for them. Drugs are very much an economic fucking issue. <laughs> I guarantee you that Prince Albert and that family drink all they fucking want and do anything they fucking want and beat on their servants and shit. And so does the Qatari royal family. And so does the fucking Dubai royal family. And so does any giant rich royal family you can bloody well think of. Um, I saw last week that a Saudi woman was accused of throwing a pot of boiling water on her maid and stuff. Well, she's not going to be punished for it, yet they hung four people in Dubai for pulling a financial scam the other day. Hung. Hung them. I'm very much against capital punishment, and I'm very much against the enforcement of drug laws against people who have no recourse. Um, the United States is full. We have a giant prison population there are more black people in prison in the United States than were under servitude and bondage in slavery in the 19th century. Understand that statistic. And that a good deal of them are in there for drug offenses. And so that doesn't seem fair to me in any way. And that's why I can't get down with the prohibition of drugs. If you legalized all drugs and removed gangsters from the fucking mix, then drugs wouldn't be a problem. Drugs would be fucking available to everyone and shit like that. Instead, when I go to buy a box of Nurofen Plus, they're like, have you taken this before? I'm like, fuck yeah, I've taken this before. <laughs> Sometimes I do a shot of vodka before and smoke a joint with it. Is that cool with you? I don't actually say that at the pharmacy. I go, no, I've never taken it before. What does it do? My favorite thing on the box that it says is don't take for more than three days in a row. It can be addictive. You're like, oh, ho, 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 ho. <laughs> then it's good. <laughs> they let one thing slip through. All right, where are you, Chorizo? Thank you, Chorizo. What's your name, sir? It's John. John McDonald. Hi, John. From Candy. Where are you from? Candy. Candy? <laughs> <laughs> 
Don't tell me when the fucking show's over. John, what are you, the director and shit? What are you, Mr. Hay Festival? I'll tell you when the fucking show's over. I wish I'd heard him. Everyone thought it was so funny. What did he say? Why am I so? <laughs> or, or after your, 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 your sec, after the second part of the show, you know, I should be saying why I said reasonably priced in comparison, say, to the lecture from. Um, oh, how much was this show to come to? Eight pounds. In comparison to the uh, to lecture from uh, the lecture of uh, uh, Wayne Slimmer. You know? Yeah. Right. Well, you, you, uh, first I thought you meant why am I so parsimonious or whatever when you said why are you so cheap. Um, because I, uh, I try to keep the price down because I know no one has any goddamn money. And I know that people are working two jobs and shit like that. It doesn't make me a man of the people and shit. I still stay at a nice hotel when I can. Uh, but I, I, I really do believe in that. I don't, think the pr- I don't think the price should be 25 or 30 quid for any fucking thing uh, uh, that you can't see. I, I think it's a, a horrible... I think people overcharge. I try to provide as much bloody entertainment as I can for as cheap a price as I can. And, uh, and by the way, if you want to download the show, uh, it's free. And I also have another show called The Greg Proops Film Club where we don't show movies, but you, we talk about movies and you can watch them in between. And if you're in Los Angeles on the 30th of June, we'll be at the Cine Family and uh, we'll be showing The Man Who Would Be King with Sean Connery and Michael Caine and that'll come out as one of the Greg Proops Film Club as well. And I think you'll find a lot of podcasters, almost all the podcasts are free. There's an entire universe of podcasting out there. Richard Herring does a lovely podcast uh, here uh, from England where he interviews uh, people and his show's free as well. So there you are. Thank you for asking me that, John. That Griff Jones is really getting going on finding his... (laughs) Ancestor's grave in the Welsh-speaking Indian tribe. <laughs> yes, my darling, what's your name? Hello, my name's Poppy. Hi, Poppy. Are you actually videoing as we're talking here? Kind of, yeah. All right, go on. <laughs> <laughs> what a fabulous laugh, Poppy. No, because I work with them all the goddamn time. <clears throat> I haven't mentioned it on the show because I've left off on the ads tonight, but uh, I, I'm going, when I go back home uh, uh, on Wednesday, Thursday, we'll be in um, Appleton, Wisconsin, and then we'll be in Batavia, Illinois, and then um, Effing, or uh, some other bloody place in Illinois, uh, Bloomington or some goddamn thing, with Ryan. I'm in a group with Ryan back home. Uh, we have a four-hander with, excuse me, Jeff Davis, Chip Eston, me and Ryan. And then uh, Colin and I will be at the Edinburgh uh, 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 Comedy Festival in August uh, doing a show, uh, uh, Who's Line Show, with Clive Anderson. And Colin and I will be there with Steve Frost. Josie's going to do it as well. So, no, I don't miss working with them because I can't get them out of my life. You what? You're a massive? You don't seem that massive, but thank you. for. You seem pretty slim. One more and then we'll fuck off. Thank you, Teresa. Thank you for watching Who's Line. And if you're coming to America, it's back on the air again. It's on the CW. We're on Friday nights. And yes, I'm on it again at the age of fucking 54. Hello. Hello. Um, I was just wondering, you 
daughter of darkness. Stay out of my life, my life. You took my heart and you tore it apart. You daughter of darkness. Please, daughter of darkness. I'm not doing it. I think you should. I just want your extra time and your... Uh, go on. What's your name? I didn't know one of these songs. Um, well, my, name, my name's Chihuahua. Um, yeah, that's the one we left here. Um, How are things on Krypton? <laughs> your father told you when he sent you to this planet. To use your powers for good. <laughs> yes, Jarrell. Um, all right, my question is, if you studied drama in high school and what do you think the benefits are of creative arts for students? I think you're kind of getting quite restrictive in high schools and primary schools. So I just want to know if you did creative arts in high school and if it made you a better person for it. <laughs> I, I, the, go back four words. If I did what in high school? Crave out? Creative arts. Oh, creative uh, arts, yeah. Yeah, no, no, I took drama in high school. I totally did. Uh, duh. <laughs> I, uh, no, I, I was in all the plays in high school and, uh, and junior college, and I was in all the variety shows, and I did stand-up in all of them, and I hosted some of them. And, um, and then in college, I uh, became a, a stand-up comic and then got, finally started getting paid when I was in college and shit like that. Um, my high school drama teacher, Mr. Gill, who was a lovely man, um, took me aside before I graduated and said, Greg, you're never going to be a lead. <laughs> you're only going to be a character actor. I was like, really? I'm 17, dude. You're a drama teacher in San Carlos. What the fuck would you know about it? Uh, so there's that end of it. And I loved, I loved George Gill. He was a nice person. He gave me my first part in a play and stuff like that. Uh, first, I pulled curtains. We did the stage version of the TV show Columbo. Because we had a guy at my school named Brian Story who could do fucking Peter Falk. So we got him an overcoat, right? And he would come on and go, you know, there's just one thing that's been troubling me. <laughs> I was wondering if it'd be any bother. If I could just go through the whole thing again with you. But that's why we did the fucking show of Columbo. Because we had this one guy who could fucking do Peter Falk. I couldn't get a part in the show, so I pulled the curtains and shit. Uh, and the best part of being in drama in high school was, um, after the plays was over, we would all take drugs and snog each other and shit and get drunk. And uh, to me, I thought, fuck, theater's awesome. <laughs> so I'm all for it. <laughs> Do I think it helps when you get out in the world? Uh, yeah. Why not? <laughs> I mean... Bob Hoskins, God rest his soul, and this one's for Bob tonight, uh, never took a drama class in his life and went to an audition with a friend and was sitting in the pub when a guy handed them a script and went, you're next. And he went on and got the part in that play. So is it required? Nah, not all the time. Is it good? Yeah. I think it can help 
focus your energy. I think that the thing that actors forget is uh, that it's important not only to study uh, yourself, but that literature and history are also very important elements that are uh, can be used in acting. Uh, again, I, I don't find that Ryan Gosling or James Franco is employing these useful tools, but the, thank you. One person laughed. Everyone else, who is Ryan Gosling? Let me put it this way. Does Scarlett Johansson search her soul before every line she reads? I don't think so. Is she still amusing and shallowly entertaining in a festive way? She can be. Not everybody's fucking Lawrence Olivier or whatever, you know? And I don't know why I said Lawrence Olivier. He hasn't been an actor for a while. Are you taking drama in school? Jarl? Is it on? Are we doing comedy now? Oh, you're a primary school teacher. Yeah. Do you have your children read plays? Um, I love doing, yeah. Well, we, I, I prefer the whole improvisation, this kind of capitalist stuff. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> I won't probably bring the message of drugs and snogging back to them, but... They'll find that on their own, my darling. <laughs> you don't need to teach kids to do that. It's just kind of a natural, natural progression. So, but you, you don't have them read plays, you have them do improv and stuff, huh? Yeah, just well, when you're doing like six, seven-year-olds in the time of drama, it's kind of hard to get them to read plays. I dig. Six and seven-year-olds, yeah. No, I would do improv with them too because they're natural improvisers. Yeah. Exactly. They're, not, they're not, by the time they get to be 10 and 11, then there's that whole social convention thing. Am I acting to this? Am I acting to that? Am I too fey? Am I too butch? Am I too blah, 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 blah. When they're six and seven, they're so primal. There's so much id that they can really tap into it. And that's the thing about uh, being a performer, I think, is uh, more than anything else, uh, uh, you have to be a, a, a complete infant emotionally um, in order to get anything across. Um, I think I've proven that time and time again by <laughs> throwing glasses on the stage and getting huffy when people walk out because they disagree with me. <laughs> I'd choke you to death for a cookie if I could. So would a baby. By the way, is the baby still here? That fucking baby. Let me tell you something. When that baby came in tonight, I knew he was an asshole. I mean, sure, he was behaved at first, and then there was that, or whatever, like. I have worked my whole life, baby, to fucking provide you entertainment. And don't tell me the baby went to see Hugh Masekele either. <laughs> you have been the smartest crowd in the world. I have been the smartest man in the world. Thank you very much for coming out tonight. May every page that you turn be a satchel page. May every bell that you ring be a cool papa bell. And we'll be by Bond. Thank you, Derek. Make sure they're very nice. I wish you nothing but love. Good night.